1: Welcome to the Survival Show podcast. I'm Joe Wagner, part of the Ultimate Survival Tips team and your host for today's show. Uh, This is a podcast for people who want to be better prepared to thrive in their relationships, work, and life, no matter how good or how bad of a situation they find themselves in. Every week, we'll bring you a conversation with an expert in an area of practical survival, emergency preparedness, contingency medicine, or leadership, all to help you attain your fullest potential and increase your survival IQ. Along the way, we'll cut through the clutter and take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you, and the ones you love, need to survive almost any emergency, crisis, or disaster. So, today, Creek Stewart and I are going to discuss several options varying in price and complexity to make sure you have a functional four-season off-grid kitchen when a disaster strikes as our discussion revolves around creek's new book the disaster ready home and it's pretty good gotta pick one up along the way we'll discuss the vital importance of having a disaster kitchen plan we will geek out and talk about kelly kettles rocket stoves eco zoom and solar cooking the advantages and disadvantages of kerosene cook stoves wood burning cook stoves open fire cooking and cooking on a barbecue grill for a long-term disaster, and a lot more. We have an exciting and important show queued up for you, but before we get into all the great content, I'd like to encourage you to create a win-win situation for everyone and help pay it forward by helping those you love and care about be better prepared. Would you help us get the word out about the Survival Show podcast as I issue our SOS Here's three ways you can help us out with this SOS. The first S, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. The next, oh, please offer an honest five-star review with comment. We really do read them and are very, very thankful for them. And it does really help the podcast rise in the ranks and get found. And last but not least, share. Share the podcast, even right now with those you care about. That's it. SOS. Subscribe. Offer a review, share the podcast. Doing that makes a big win for everyone. It helps us, and it's free. And if you like free and want more free stuff, go check out Ultimate Survival Tips, the mothership for this podcast. And that's the place where you'll find additional free resources, including the show notes for this podcast with links. And while you're there, you can check out a bunch of gear David designed, including the tiny survival guide that he and I worked on together. All right. I have talked a whole bunch, and it's about time to get into the show. <music> Creek, thank you so much for being here.
0: Hey, it's an honor and uh really looking forward to talking to you, Joe. Appreciate the opportunity and your time today.
1: Oh, yeah, it's um uh, sitting in here while while Dave's on the mend and every time I get a chance to talk to you it's really exciting for me to 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 listen to you and just soak up uh, all the knowledge that you've got and this is something that I really kind of enjoy too because I do like to cook and I know that like camp cooking and uh, is is a lot different than probably what we're going to be talking about but this is something that I'm really really interested in. I think it's really really important for the folks out there too
0: yeah so let's let's kind of set the stage for um for for what we're really discussing so off grid uh, more disaster style cooking uh and when it comes to this style of cooking, I think it's really important to to remember that it's not necessarily camping, uh, because camping is a little bit more leisure cooking, cooking for pleasure. I think everyone would can kind of kind of imagine that cooking at a campsite, you know, maybe an RV site or camping or hiking and camping is a totally different scenario than disaster um, cooking, which is feels a little bit, for sure, more on the survival side of things. And when it comes to disasters, I like to think about the disasters that really happen and I look back in history at the disasters that happen and think about what are the what are the systems and things that are that are really practical and easy to implement. I learned a long time ago that the more expensive and the harder to implement something is that the least likely people are to do it. So we're going to talk about solutions that are really simple. I'm, I'm probably not going to introduce anything that is, it is incredibly complex or very, or very expensive uh, because I don't think that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. And we're not talking about remodeling your home um, to implement some type of um, you know, solar cooking kitchen or anything like that. So this is, these are just really easy to implement practical solutions for short-term and even long-term disaster scenarios.
1: All right, so uh, kind of even an off-grid cooking and boiling situation, because if the grid goes down, you're going to be off-grid. How do, I mean, you've talked a little bit about it, but why is it important? Um, There is a ton of people out there who have gas or electric cook stoves and if yeah, the grid so, goes down we 're in trouble there
0: that's right. over eighty percent of u s households are dependent on grid tide cooking, so that's a staggering number of people at least in um, at least in the United States, and by grid tide, I mean electric or ga- electric or gas and electric stoves are by far the most common. Nearly 60% of all American homes have an electric stove. So we think about disasters that strike and the the number one grid-tied convenience that goes down in almost every single disaster is electricity. And even when it's not a disaster, it seems like there are rolling blackouts and, you know, short-term power outages all the time, even in completely what people would consider completely normal times. So think about Sixty percent of American households all of a sudden losing their electric range, uh, the primary means of cooking, um, or their microwave, or any other electric cooking appliance, and that's a lot of people who could be in a situation where they might need a backup system to to cook food and boil water, even if it's just it for
1: two or three days. Right? I mean, around here, we last winter we we had some people lost electricity for I think it was like three or four days, to be honest with you, and. it was the big emergency. I mean, there was not many backups that people had ready.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would say your average disaster, you know, your average power outage is, you know, I don't know what the average is, but I think it's very practical to plan for two to three days. You know, that's an absolute minimum really um, is a couple of days. And I'd I'd love to see people think about, you know, what, what, as we discuss these systems today, I'd love to—I'd love for people to kind of get in the mindset of a minimum of two weeks, because that's where I really like to start with disaster preparedness, whether it's food or water or heating or cooking, like we're going to discuss today. I'd really like you to get into the mindset of whatever I implement, I want to be at a minimum of two weeks to start out with and work my way from there when it comes to fuel for fueling some of these things. So we're going to start out in the order of simplicity. Uh, we're going to start with an appliance that, you know, a staggering number of of people have. And that's 64% of U.S. adults um, of households in uh, America own a barbecue grill. Okay. And so a barbecue grill, despite the fact that it's just a backyard fun grilling machine, um, these can be um, a really great source for uh, backyard cooking most people some people have those their gas grills whether it's propane or or natural gas and there are some electric pro, there are some electric barbecue grills and some people operate on charcoal so regardless of what fuel um, if a Barbecue. If you have a barbecue grill and you're thinking that this could potentially be your backup option, um, you want to think about having extra fuel on hand. If it's 20 pound tanks, you know, having two or three extras of those 20 pound tanks on hand at any given moment. Um, natural gas is far less likely to be interrupted than electric, but it does happen. Uh, there are certain disasters that that knock out natural gas. Earthquakes, in particular. And uh, if you if you use charcoal grill and you're thinking that a barbecue grill may be a good option for you, um, trash cans uh, those big rubber or metal trash cans that you pick up at your local home improvement center those are great storage containers for backup charcoal. You can just fill you can just fill those right up with charcoal. Make sure you've got a lid on. You can store them either outside um, as long as they're semi-protected from the elements or in a shed or in a garage and you can have a couple of big bins of trash um, trash can bins of charcoal at the ready uh, as a as a fuel resource for for barbecue grills so barbecue grills are a great option for boiling and cooking
1: okay so what about everybody out there who has a like a backyard fire pit is that going to be an ideal sort of an option can we do that instead yeah
0: yeah, you know, I mean, backyard fire pits are probably the least ideal option. Open fire cooking is is really inefficient, to be honest with you. It's very fun when you're camping and when you're doing it for fun. But when you're really trying to churn out three meals a day and boil some water, especially in inclement weather, um, backyard fire pits are not the best option in the world. Imagine it's raining and snowing or your backyard flooded. Um, it all of a sudden becomes really, really difficult to maintain an open fire cooking scenario. Um, heating, you know, running a backyard fire pit, just the amount of wood necessary for open fire cooking. You have to have a significant amount of wood if you're planning on doing that for very long. Um, a cooking fire you're can quite be quite a bit. You're probably not going to be
1: able to of... take out your, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you're probably not going to be able to take out your regular old pans either, <laughs> right? The pans you like to use on top of your stove. I mean, you might be able to get away with using them a couple times.
0: That's right. You know, open fire cooking requires an entirely different set of tools and skill sets to be honest with you. If it's the if it's your first time in a disaster scenario cooking over an open fire, it's probably not going to go well for you. Most people who are open fire cooking aficionados, they have done this for years and have understood all of the nuances and all of the trials and errors that go into properly cooking over an open fire it is It is very difficult to cook properly over an open fire, and you you might as well guarantee that you 're going to need a set of cast iron cookware, whether it 's a cast iron um, pot or Skillet or griddle. You're going to need a gravity grill, uh, something, some type of grill that that goes over the coals that you could potentially put a pot on top of um and this stuff isn't cheap you know they're they're great options for open fire pits but they're for when it comes to disaster i don't know that i would i don't know that i would plan on open fire cooking as my backup plan maybe the backup to my backup to my backup
1: (laughs) and you do need those right but
0: yep um so
1: what's next though I mean, what's another option? Those are the first two things that come to my mind. Okay, I got a grass grill and I got a fire pit. And what happens next? What's something else?
0: Well, let's talk about boiling water for a minute, you know, and something really, really simple for boiling water, because boiling water is, is really important. You want to have a really efficient means of boiling water in any disaster scenario. It comes into play in two ways, whether it's boiling for purification I just saw a headline on the news not too long ago for a town up above mine in Indiana who has a boil alert um, on their water. So just, just something as simple as that, you know, being able to efficiently boil and kill microbiological organisms in been um, polluted or um, infected. I guarantee water. you
1: don't want to have one of them in a disaster situation. Cause that's just going to make everything worse.
0: Yeah. You can just, you you're pretty much imagine, imagine just spending the, the, the the rest of the disaster in the emergency room, you know, with everybody else. And so that's not a good idea. Um, And then, you know, not only boiling water to purify water, but a lot of people stock freeze-dried foods for disaster preparedness. And theoretically, if you have a stock of freeze-dried foods, the only thing you really need in the cooking department is some hot water. And mm-hmm. so for someone who's taken that strategy of freeze-dried foods, then I I would really highly recommend considering something called a Kelly Kettle. A okay. Kelly Kettle is a really interesting stove. It was designed way back in the 18, I think 1890s by an Irish fisherman um, and is still in that same family uh, today, still manufactured by, I believe, that same family over in Ireland uh, potentially, or maybe even the UK. And... Um, it is just a really, really cool stove. At the time, the the grandfather that started um, that started the whole operation, he was using it to make tea while he was fishing, uh, in in you know crazy Irish weather. And it started to catch on. Other fishermen were like, "Man, that's a really efficient stove you've got there." And then one thing led to another, and now these things are sold all over the world. They're a really cool design. They the 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 pot itself that you pour the water in actually functions as the insulated chimney to the rocket stove. It's essentially a rocket stove, which we'll talk about here in just a minute but it's, it's basically a rocket stove with a hollow chimney that the water goes into. And I mean, you're looking at boiling water in just a matter of a couple of minutes with just a few little tiny sticks and twigs. And you could set this up on a picnic table, up on a chair, on a patio. And it is just incredible. It's an incredible little stove for boiling water, but that is, on, that is the only thing it's really good at is boiling water.
1: Super, super efficient. I mean, if you're going to boil water and that's the only thing that you need, be as efficient as you possibly can in that particular area. And it seems like for not a huge investment, that would be something I mean, you're going to be able to go out that you would, that you would want, especially if it's just going to take twigs and sticks and things like that. It's going to be a whole lot easier to use that than it would be to use your big old campfire pit out in the backyard to boil water. I know what it's like to try to boil water on the trail or even in that, if you've, all you've got is like green pine sticks and it just ain't going to work very well. But the Kelly, Kelly Kettle sounds like a great idea.
0: It's a fantastic idea. And you know, jet boil has been all the rage these days with lightweight campers who want to quickly boil water and it'll boil water just as fast as any jet boil out there. And those things are super expensive. Um, this is a really simple, effective, you know, you're not, you don't require a fuel canister anyone no matter where you're at i don't care if you're in an apartment in the highest high rise in new york city you can operate a kelly kettle on your patio or on your windowsill even probably maybe that's pushing it but and all you'd have to do is go down to well
1: if you're hungry enough it's not
0: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly But anyone, no matter where you're at, can find the sticks and twigs necessary. Even along the sidewalks in a big city, you're going to be able to find the sticks and twigs or even split up one little piece of furniture in order to, in order to burn enough enough fuel to, to run one of these Kelly kettles. It's a really nice little, so it's not, I wouldn't consider it a backpack stove because they are a little bulky. You can buy them in aluminum and they now come out also in stainless steel. I personally have a stainless steel one, um, that, that I really love and we use it all the time. We use it all the time out in the backyard to cook little meals and to, you know, make tea and stuff like that. It's a really, my kids love using it because they get to build a fire. It's a fun little, you get to really see how the thing works, the, the flames shoot out the top. It's a cool, it's a cool little stove.
1: So what about another alternative? What what's something else?
0: Well you, that, you mentioned
1: rocket stove earlier.
0: Yeah so it's that that conversation really segues us into uh the the category of rocket stoves. Okay. Um rocket stoves are an entire category of cooking stoves that really You know, whenever I come, whenever I really think about disaster cooking, I think about, okay, what are people, what are people doing in areas that don't have electricity right now? Like, how are they cooking? You know, how are the millions and tens of millions of people across the world who live in areas without electricity, how are they cooking their meals right now? Well, I can tell you right now, they're doing one of two things. They're open fire cooking, which is really inefficient. And they're now discovering and have been for years that the best way to cook without electricity is using a rocket stove. And a rocket stove by definition, let me just read just um, just a kind of a canned definition of a rocket stove to, for the framework here. A rocket stove is an efficient and hot burning stove using small diameter wood fuel. So the same t- sticks and twigs that we've been talking about. Fuel is burned in a simple combustion chamber containing an insulated vertical chimney, which ensures almost complete combustion prior to the flames reaching the cooking surface. And so it is very efficient. It produces very, very hot heat. And the leftover is just nothing but just a tiny couple of teaspoons of white ash after you're done cooking each each time. There are probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of different rocket stove designs, but they all operate on the same principle. Fuel goes in the bottom. As the heat rises through the insulated chimney and the cooking surface is on top of the chimney, as the heat rises through the chimney, it draws in new fresh oxygen, that rising heat, pulls in fresh oxygen at the bottom and sucks that up through the fuel, the burning fuel, and, and uh, feeds that fire with oxygen and then just continues that process. So it creates just an incredible, efficient burning scenario uh, for cooking. And they come in all different shapes and sizes. I would consider a Kelly kettle, a version of a rocket stove. There are really expensive ones. You can build them in your backyard. I'm going to provide a link here in a second to where I teach you how to build one out of bricks. Uh, but the one that I really like is called the EcoZoom Rocket Stove. It's very, it's it's um, it's um used a lot in Africa right now, um, replacing open fire cooking. Uh, it's a lot more efficient in, in some of the smaller huts and things like that, and right outside the front door. It's a small, maybe foot and a half tall stove by about 18 inches in diameter. You can pick one up on Amazon um, or on EcoZoom, their website, just Google EcoZoom. There's several different models that are or brands that are similar to it, but it's about $120. And it, it's definitely a back patio, little put it on a step or put it on a concrete paver. It just uses sticks and twigs. It's walk compatible. So if anybody knows anything about cooking in a walk? you can make about any meal survival meal possible in a walk. so it's walk compatible as well as pan compatible it is just an incredible backup option for boiling and cooking in a disaster scenario and that is my personal backup is an eco zoom rocket stove
1: nice and it, it's not going to break the bank either. It's, it's not going to break the, the bank. It's
0: 120 bucks. Yeah.
1: That sounds like a no
0: brainer. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm going to go check them out.
0: Yeah. You know, and I don't have any vested interest in that company, but that's the one I've chosen to use. And we use it all the time. We, 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 cause we do little mock drills as a family. My kids love it. We go outside and cook meals, cook some of our disaster food and just practice and things like that. And they operate the stove and you know, it's, it's fun, man. You know, it's a great way to get outside and just do it's a little bit of backyard disaster prep. If, if $120 sounds out of your budget, or if you're like, I'm never going to use this, but I want an option, I'm going to give you a link right now. So if you've got a pen and paper handy, write it down. It's creekstewart.com forward slash rocket stove, all one word. And if you go to that link, I teach you how to build what's called the 25 brick rocket stove. And it's essentially awesome little rocket stove using 25 bricks or pavers that you can pick up at your local hardware store or for free at any construction site, maybe tossing their leftovers. It'll take you about 15 minutes to build. You could assemble it now or in a disaster scenario, but it's, it's a rocket stove design that uses just sticks and twigs to operate, and it's a fantastic little backup stove. Um, that's just going to cost you pennies.
1: Any other like store bought things, or you think that that kind of covers it? I mean, it seems like you could spend a whole lot of money on stuff that doesn't work, but we want to make sure that we're focusing on things that do work. Any other ideas?
0: Yeah, so I and like th- to keep it really simple. Obviously, you know, nothing I've mentioned here is is really complex yet. You know, I mean, it's all really inexpensive and really simple. And a part of when I, when I wrote the book Disaster Ready Home, I really had to think about, you know, what are inexpensive options for heating your home? And I thought about my grandparents who heated their entire, their he- they heated their entire home uh, my entire childhood with two floor standing kerosene heaters, freestanding kerosene right. heaters indoor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their house always smelled a little bit like kerosene, <laughs> you know, yeah. okay. and they had a house fire once. <laughs> But um, but kerosene heaters, if you follow the instructions and operate them properly, they can be safe for using indoors. They're designed to be used indoors and they're an indoor space heater that operates on kerosene fuel. And for someone who may be using I I keep I keep two of those on hand with a 55 gallon drum of kerosene fuel um, for a backup heating solution. And for someone who may be thinking about kerosene as an option for home heat, they may want to also consider, if they're storing kerosene fuel, they may want to also consider a kerosene cook stove. Um, if this, this was really popular back in the day, you know, back as we were transitioning out of wood-burning stoves into other fuels like kerosene and electricity and gas and things like that kerosene was a was a real fad in america and so there are a ton of older kerosene cookstoves on places like ebay and maybe even facebook marketplace um, one of the, the real popular ones of the time which i found one at an antique at an antique store not long ago and i don't think anyone even knew what it was it was called <laughs> it's called a perfection cook stove. Okay. And, um, that's, that's what you would look up. I mean, there are people who collect these cook stoves now, but that's, that is definitely an option for people who are thinking about, um, storing kerosene is you may want to consider picking up one of these older and still totally functional kerosene cook stoves, um, as, as a backup as a backup cooking alternative.
1: You might have a kerosene lantern laying around too. And if you've got that kerosene stored up, eh, cook stove, heat, and then maybe even light, that would be able to help out.
0: Absolutely. That's a great idea. You know, I mean, kerosene is cross-functional for lighting as well. Um, It's not as clean burning as like a lamp, like a true lamp fuel, but it is absolutely a great alternative.
1: Now, how about, I've gone into some folks' houses before when you mentioned your grandparents. I thought that you were going to say, a wood fired cook stove because I've been in some grandpa and grandma's houses where that heats almost the entire house, this great big wood fired wood stove that they have out in the kitchen. And that's the only source of heat and fuel. I mean, uh, of heat, but it also uses the cook, but, and that's a pretty big investment.
0: Yeah. I love that idea. You know, I love the idea of wood burning fireplaces. You know, I have a wood burning fireplace, uh, and I love it, but, as as i as we get into like this discussion of disaster backups of course if you have a wood burning fireplace you've got your solution pretty much solved when it comes to heating your home and also maybe even doing some cooking depending on the setup you know but for people who don't already have a wood burning stove in place or a wood burning fireplace in place man that is a huge commitment and a big investment to putting Putting one in, really, um, you can install some freestanding cook stoves uh, that have a that have a vent pipe that run up through the ceiling or out the or chimney that runs up through the ceiling or kind of out the wall. Um, those aren't horribly expensive, but you're still looking with installation, you know, for a decent stove, a thousand plus dollars. Yeah, and for easy. most people, yeah, and for most people, they're just not ready, not only to make that financial commitment to this backup. But to, like, find a place in their existing home to put in a wood-burning fireplace, like, um, and so for that reason, you know, I love the wood-burning fireplace option. Man, I mean, you know, 150, 200 years ago, 100% of homes in America relied on wood-burning heat and a wood-burning cook stove, 100% of homes in America. Now 1.9% of homes in America rely on home for heat, you know, literally not even 2% of homes now rely on wood for heat. So when I compare that insurance agent,
1: I went to my insurance agent and I was thinking about putting something similar to that in and it wasn't a new one, right? It was like an old good one. And because it was made before, like, 1970-something, he's like, I don't think you're going to be able to get that on your insurance policy. I'm like, are you serious? So, like, that's just one other hurdle that you're going to have to get.
0: Yeah, and I've never even thought of that, you know, but it's a really incredible point you make. Maybe something like in a um,
1: in a cabin that you're going to build or, or in a, a little getaway place. That could be something that you build into there as you're planning that thing through
0: yeah I would or you know if you're building a new home you know I would consider that for sure you know whether it's a cook stove so there's a fireplace right which is a heating wood stove and then there's a cook stove which is really designed those are two totally different types of stoves like most like wood burning stoves for heating they do not make good cook stoves so you, if you're if you're thinking about a cook stove then you wanna look up wood-burning cook stove versus wood-burning fireplace because they are two totally different designs. And a cook stove not only is designed to cook food and even bake, and in some instances, they have a water jacket so that you can heat water as well, but they also can be a source of heat. Uh, But um, uh, like a wood-burning fireplace, it is not necessarily um, a, a really great place to cook food or even boil water.
1: All right. So we have gone from like the simplest to maybe the most difficult to, to implement
0: any, any other
1: ideas, any other thoughts or hints or tips that you can give us?
0: Well, I tell you what, you know, I, there are some people who live in environments where solar cooking might make a lot of sense, you know, like, especially in places like Colorado, where they just get like, what, like 350 plus days of sun a year something insane like that. Um, or sunny areas in the south like Arizona and you know Southern california a solar a solar cooking option may be something that makes a lot of sense but here's the thing with that is I don't have any experience with solar cooking it doesn't it doesn't make sense where I'm at
1: right but where I'm at too i live in the I live in the backwoods of north central p a and down in the little gully, and we get some sun, but not enough to make solar a really good option for us but what you could do. Uh, Dave does have some thoughts on solar. So what you can do is, uh, it, this link will be in the show notes, but if you go to go sun.co forward slash collections, forward slash solar hyphen ovens, I know that's long, but it is in the show notes and there is a link there. There are some solar ovens that really, really do work. And, uh, they work in all weather and four seasons. Um, Dave says, hey, if you can see your shadow, it'll work. It's like magic. So go check that option out, too. You can check that out in the show notes. Um, they're portable. Average cook time is an hour. Dave is the expert on those. I am not. So go check the show notes for that option.
0: And I believe that was um, an original Kickstarter program, if, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah. He says that he has two units here on premises and that he's tried them out and they work pretty good. So that's an option to go check out for solar.
0: Yeah, I think I, I love the idea of solar for sure. You know, I mean, solar power uh, is a really, is a really great option for areas that that have consistent sun. And if you could double that with solar cooking, I mean, Hey, that, that sounds like, that sounds like a great idea to me. All right, Craig. So
1: what about some action steps for people to do like right now, or that they can be thinking about, this is the next thing that I'm able to do. So Give us some action steps or even some parting thoughts.
0: Well, I, I believe that uh, some version of a rocket stove is a really good idea, regardless of what you have in place right now. I think that a rocket stove makes a lot of sense for a lot of people because of how efficient it is how small it can be, and the type of really small diameter sticks and twig fuel that it uses to burn. They are inexpensive, and I think they're a no-brainer for someone who's really trying to feel prepped in the cooking department. And so I would really do your research on picking up a rocket stove. I recommend the EcoZoom, but there's a lot of different rocket stoves out there. You may find one you like better that you just feel like suits your needs a little bit better. Maybe it's bigger because you got a bigger family. Um, There's a lot of different options to consider. So I would definitely consider a rocket stove as an action step. Think about maybe in the next two or three months budgeting in a rocket stove. And then I would also beef up on pick one of the things that you have in place already. Maybe it's a barbecue grill. Maybe, maybe you already have a wood stove and just, or maybe you're going deep on kerosene, but make sure you have the fuel on hand necessary to operate those things for a minimum of two weeks. So your action steps after this should be fuel on hand for two weeks for at least one of my options. And if you've got it in the budget some type of a rocket stove
1: nice okay one last kind of surprise question your favorite meal or maybe the kids favorite meal but your favorite meal that you have been able to in your practice prepped in one of these off-grid cooking situations
0: yeah so you know we don't eat a lot of freeze-dried foods but my kids love freeze-dried camping meals because it feels like you're camping you know, there's something like really cool about fixing freeze-dried camping meals, you know, for at least for my kids. And so they, they just, they're so hands-on, you know, we, we throw a couple in the backpack, we hike out into the backyard, we set up a rocket stove, whether it's a Kelly kettle or an EcoZoom, and we boil water and we just pour, it's really simple. And we pour it into those freeze-dried meals and the kids help with that. And we divvy it up and we kind of share a little camp meal and, it's 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 a really great experience it acclimates them to the process so that it's not scary when we have to do it one day and it's hands-on it's like it's like a mini version of a training and while I'm not listing one meal in particular it'd probably be freeze-dried meals is what we do most in practice cool awesome
1: all right, how can people get in touch with you and connect with you, Creek? You got a ton of different things to offer.
0: Yeah, so the easiest way is just creekstewart.com and you're gonna see a pop-up or at least a space to enter in your email to join my email list. That's that's how to find out ev- everything about me. I will email you all types of different tips and tricks and you know, re- free resources about survival and disaster preparedness. And then of course, if you're really wanting to dig in on being prepped for a disaster, um, especially bugging in or sheltering in place, then my new book, "The Disaster Ready Home," is a fantastic resource. No matter where you're at in that process, and it's available wherever books are sold.
1: I've got a copy right here, and it looks fantastic. Look at that full color pictures throughout. Easy step by step. Yeah,
0: man. Lots of pictures.
1: Yeah, lots and lots. uh ah, Creek, thank you so much. It's always awesome to get a chance to talk to you and pick your brain and and, and hear everything that you've got for us. So. I just really, really appreciate you, brother.
0: Appreciate you guys too. And always appreciate the opportunity, man. You know, we're, we're like-minded. We're like-minded and it's always good to spend time with you.
1: And soon we'll get Dave back in the saddle too. We're looking forward to that. Hey, before we get out of here, everybody, uh, just please pay it forward. Um, share our podcast with your uh, family and friends because it is family friendly. Uh, Creek had mentioned that we're like-minded. We're like-minded in that way, too. You know, this is about family. This is about taking care of people that we love. This is about faith even as well. And, and secondly, go on over to our mothership, UltimateSurvivalTips.com. And check it out there. There's a lot of free content, videos, uh, unique gear like our Tiny Survival uh, Guide and our Tiny Survival First Aid Guides. And while you're there, don't forget to click on the podcast tab to get the show notes and the PDF. There's links there like I had mentioned before. There's links to things that we had talked about today. Um, Also, uh, the MSK1s are back in stock. Go to UltimateSurvivalTips.com. Uh, all the uh, MSK one survival lives are back in stock there. Also, please give us a five star uh, rating and an honest review wherever you listen to this podcast. So, and um, I just really appreciate all of you. And I uh, thank Dave for letting me have a chance to sit in here and, and talk with Creek. Um, one last thing too, if you could send in some questions, any questions that you might have that we would be able to answer and bring in some of our expert guests to answer as well. So, and also topics that you might want us to cover other guests that you might like us to hear from so we'll feature your question on the show and give you a shout out and dave will put your name in the hat for a chance to win an msk1 knife for christmas that's a pretty big deal until then keep it simple be positive and stay sharp